Hello, welcome to Time to Say Goodbye. Before we start our conversation with Max, I want to tell you about our picnic this Saturday afternoon. It's something that we've done quite a bit in the show. We have get-togethers with our listeners. Um, it's sort of like the IRL component of our Discord server. <laughs> uh, I don't know. You, I've met tons it's of so fun. great people there. There's I, a lot of friendships. And, yeah. Because Amy was like, is much more social than me. And she was like, let's do these things. And I was like, I don't ever leave my house. I don't want to meet <laughs> But I've enjoyed every single one I've been to, and I've met a lot of people that I do consider friends and people who I'm really happy that I know now. And so if you'd like to, you know, if you are a social person and a listener to the show, or even if you're not, if you're like me and, you know, can't think of anything worse than going to meet people that you don't know, um, <laughs> I'll tell you, this is the best version of that that I've ever been to. And you can find the time and location in our Discord. We will send you an email if you're a Substack paid subscriber or on Patreon. You will get the directions to it if you're not in Discord. I'm not going to be there, unfortunately, because uh, I don't know. It's hard. It, I live in California. I, and <laughs> Andy are going to be we there. We need to do another one in Cali soon. But yeah. We did one around Waz. Like, well, I met up with some people for yeah, like a book, book reading that yeah. Waz did. Um, and we're going to provide food and drink and we're going to have some tote bags for sale, hopefully. Uh, and you can subscribe to the show and have access to all of this at Substack or Patreon. Um, $5 a month helps support our show. Okay. Uh, we are still at it with our third anniversary week. Weeks. Week. I think our That's... third anniversary <laughs> celebration is going to last a whole year. And, um, you know, if you're tired of this, then just don't think about it as a third anniversary celebration that's been going on for months. Just think of it as content that is branded as third anniversary, but in general is not about <laughs> us at all. Um, but in the spirit, one thing that we do like about this third anniversary thing is that it allows us to bring us back some of our favorite guests. And today we have one of our favorite people, Max Reed. Um, back on the show, Max. How are you doing? Hey guys, I'm so happy to be back. That this didn't feels sound like... very sincere. <laughs> no, I, I feel like um, you know when they do the SNL skits where they have like multiple time hosts, like Steve Martin and stuff, come back and do funny little things because they've hosted <laughs> six times. That's what I feel like right now. Oh yeah, Me, yeah. Vincent, <laughs> what, like there's like a you know there's a crew of us. We, you crew. should get us jackets or something like varsity jackets. <laughs> Those are like my friends. Guys, <laughs> <laughs> I got, us, I got everyone jackets. Um, so Max, <laughs> you can read Max's work at maxread.substack.com. Right, he, that's where he does his read Max newsletter which i for my money is i don't know let's not put a number on it but it is on in the top tier of substacks certainly the one that i read the most religiously i would say um there are ones that are you know that i also think are good but i tend to skip some of the (laughs) some of the (laughs) newsletters but max i pretty much read most of what you put out, which I, as a, as, you know, like basically current, but, you know, former official newsletter writer, I find to be like quite remarkable because my friends would always like troll me, like my non-media friends here in the Bay Area. And they're like, yeah, I skipped your last three. And I'm like, that's very normal. You know? <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, I'd be really weirded out if you had update, read all of them. Yeah. Like they're, it's not intended to be, to have everything read. Like it's intended to be what, like, well, what's a good ratio do you think for newsletter reads? That's it. like one every other one maybe. That's what I would feel. That's what I would make my set my target at. That's a probably. high target. 
I mean, I was like, I'm with Jay. Like, I subscribe to a lot of newsletters that I think are fantastic, but that I genuinely read like one in three, usually because yeah. they're like really detailed and serious and like newsworthy. So I, I think the the strategy is you have to give like one real goofy, stupid, silly one for every like smart, thoughtful one you do, so that you so people never know what they're clicking on. They're like, oh, <laughs> maybe this will just be like a light, fun thing, and it's like, no. I got 3,000 words about the future of media right here, and you clicked. You clicked, so you got to read it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Or... But the language is so good. It's like always feels lively and Thank you. it's fun to read. I mean, I'm also channeling. The other secret is just channeling all the energy I used to put into my Twitter account into a newsletter. So it's like you're getting like a full week's worth of max tweeting in just one single dispatch. Oh, yeah, that's right. You're still <laughs> not on good. Twitter. Like Max, well, you tell the story about what happened to your Twitter account. I, I quit Twitter. I quit Twitter in 2020 and the, during the pandemic. And then um, probably told this story on this podcast two or three times now, but I, I bet that people love it. And you have to sign in. You have to sign into Twitter every 30 days to get to keep all your followers and stuff. And I had this thought in my head, like, I'm going to sign out and I'm just going to keep signing in because I had 50,000 followers. That's valuable. I can I can like use that to promote my projects. And my son was born and like, you know, something else was going on in my life, something much more major than my Twitter account. And I woke up one morning on like day 31, like in a panic, like, oh, shit, I just completely oh my lost God. my entire Twitter. <laughs> and like literally two two months later, I started a Substack. And the way Substack used to do their sort of um, initial approaches to people is they'd calculate based on like how many tweets you have, like how or how many followers you have, like how much money they could offer you for, a, for an opening contract, because this is back when they would do one year contracts to start. And mm-hmm. I... Could have gotten a lot more money from Substack, I think, is the, oh is the long and short of that question. <laughs> like, literally, I remember talking with a friend of mine after this happened. He was like, listen, don't worry about it. Like, those Twitter followers, yeah, you could use them for something, but they're not like money, you know? And then I entered into the one single <laughs> arrangement where they literally <laughs> would they have actually, been money. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's tough because I don't know how, like, I remember I talked to some of the people there about that, too, you know, about yeah. the their reliance on it twitter following for how they would pay you initially right obviously Mm -hmm. like how you actually get paid is through subscriptions which are just subscriptions and not like they don't give you more because you have more a larger percentage of your subscription base because you have more twitter followers or anything but like you know their argument was like well how else are people gonna find this stuff and i was like yeah i guess that's kind of true but i don't know it's been cool to see that you've been able to like hack out this thing without reliance on that type of thing right because i think it's true that it's basically a job you know and one can figure out how it is how to do it and i think about it all the time it's just like i spent when uh around the time when my second kid was born i went off twitter like because and it was like this is like totally misguided and now i feel hypocritical about it but it was like my friend ryan mack got booted off of twitter by elon musk remember mm-hmm. yeah and i was like i'm out of here too you know and I, I haven't seen ryan by the way in like six years so it's not like we're best <laughs> friends i like ryan but we're, it's not like somebody i talk to every single day you know <laughs> where, where i'd be like we're ride or die you know but like and so i i just assumed that everybody else was gonna quit Right, and then, right. I, and then I, and then nobody else did, and I was like, "Fuck!" But then I was like, "Well, I can't go. Back. I can't go back. I can't, I can't you were go like, back. Um, you were like Renee Zellweger and Jerry Maguire. You like stood up to like quit. With you were the only person who stood up to quit. With. Right, right, right. I was convinced. I had read his fucking pamphlet, you know, Ryan's pamphlet, and I've been like, "Listen, we got to find a new way to treat these athletes." And so I, I stood. 
I was like, all right, I think maybe I made a mistake. But it didn't really matter because I was busy and the kid had come out. But then after like the first two weeks of chaos, I still wasn't on. And I got so much stuff done. I know. It's it was so incredible. Yeah. I wrote an entire screenplay about <laughs> <laughs> about like uh, about like stuff in like post-war Korea that I had to do a bunch of research for. And I was wow. just like, this is incredible. Before, oh, like it would take period. me, like I would spend months thinking about opening final draft or something like that. <laughs> and I'd be like, oh man, I should, well, this will be part of what we talk about. But um. But yeah, it was uh, it was freeing. But then I went back on, and I can't, you know, I can't really extricate myself from it. And in yeah. my head, I sometimes think like, oh, well, this is good for my the business of me. But like, yeah. I don't tweet about anything except right. basketball, and occasionally I get mad, and I'll tweet something. But that's your just, that's your brand. Basketball and getting mad. Basketball, (laughs) I'm not like a person that people trust his basketball opinions on. You know, if anything, I like exist to annoy two people who aren't annoyed at all because they've muted me years ago. (laughs) And yet I still, I still continue on this, you know, it's like, it's not even like, like, wait, wait, don't tell me where I feel like this righteous crusade. And also I just think it's funny, but like the basketball thing is literally like, Oh, how do I annoy these two people? It's like the, you, know? you have those two people, but then you have like a whole fleet of like Asian Americanists. Like there's like different pockets of people that you're yeah, trying to make true. mad. And- <laughs> I know, but it's, I, I think it's, I think it's coming to an end. Max is always max for the past few months has been real inspiration in this way. Because I, just <laughs> like, I also have my doubts, Max, because I was just like, I don't know. How do you do a sub stack without a Twitter account? You know, yeah. but you're able to do it. And, and you must have a lurk. You have a, lurker account max right because you're doing oh yeah i mean i have an account i have like like i have an account for the yeah yeah, there's an account for the newsletter and i i have like lists that i keep because it is it is still like sports like jay says is absolutely there's nowhere else you can get like good sports takes basically Mm -hmm. like it's the it's the only place where it actually feels like people are talking about sports in the way that you want sports to be talked about and then like I actually find it really useful for AI news still. It's like, like not there's all these like sort of, you know, um, we've, you know, you know, these people, they sort of sales, these sub stacky, like five new things that chat GPT (laughs) will do, but there's like lots of really smart researchers um, sharing stuff. That's interesting. Yeah. Some politics stuff still like as a news ticker, it's not as good as it used to be. It's not as good as it was mm-hmm. last year, but it's still kind of, I feel like it's kind of necessary. I, I mean, for me, it it's for like, that. it's not just, yeah. sorry, what did you say? That, no, I was going to say, I miss it for that only. Like, otherwise yeah. I feel like a free newborn baby, but like, <laughs> yeah. I miss that. I mean, I try not to, I, I'm, I'm on Blue Sky. I don't know if you guys have tried out Blue Sky yet. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was realizing what has made my reading Twitter experience pretty good. So like, Blue Sky is the Twitter clone that a bunch of ex-Twitter employees yeah. have started, and they're they're like slowly releasing invites and um and and like building up the people who are on there. And I signed in, and I've been sort of using it and like actually like tweeting again. But I realized that like I keep getting followed by people that I sort of know and who I use, especially people I used to follow on Twitter, and feeling the like social obligation to follow them back, and realizing that like part of what made Twitter so annoying and awful to me toward the end was like following all these people that I like personally, that I think are good writers, whatever, but are just like, I don't actually, I shouldn't follow them on Twitter because they tweet bullshit. They tweet dumb bullshit all the time. And I don't want to have any, and by dumb bullshit, I mean like they're, you know, like capital, they're like resistance tweeters or they're whatever. They're just stuff that I don't need in my feed or they're picking fights and I don't care about it. And so I'm like, oh, like the part of the problem with Twitter is that I, it's like with Facebook where you just accumulate so many Mm -hmm. friends or followers or whatever 
that it stops being like fresh and interesting and fun and more just like another social obligation that you log into and you're like, oh, here's like 15 people that I used to work with and 15 people that like they complimented me once and I threw them and I've like followed them. And you're like, oh, this, this, this is crud. I don't want to have anything to do with it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, it, I don't know. I find it. I find that thing. Anyway, the worst thing to talk about for a bunch of journalists getting together is their Twitter accounts. <laughs> and we'll see us here. So we'll talk about the other thing that's bad to talk about, which is AI, yeah. right? <laughs> which is, um, you know, Mac, like Max, you write a quite a bit about this now. I would say that it's like thirty percent of the stuff that you write about, or maybe you know, over the past few months. Like, why? Why yeah. has that been? Like, why are you so interested in this? Um, I mean, partly it's like a function of just this is where the energy. My newsletter is ostensibly about tech and the tech industry, and this is really where all the energy is now. I mean, I think anybody can sort of see that. Like, crypto has has more or less fallen apart. You know, the the big sort of platform moral panics of the like late Trump era are kind of, if they're not over, they're just like best simmering in the background. Um, but AI people in the tech industry are extremely excited about it. They see a huge money-making opportunity. Obviously they also see a technology that they believed that will be you know, as transformative as the iPhone or as the internet. Um, and in addition to that, so, you know, it, it has this kind of like object, this objective factor that requires some level of coverage, you know, that I, I feel like I need to be paying attention to it so that I am keeping up with the things that are going on. But I found myself, you know, in the last six months or so, genuinely pretty um, interested in it, I suppose. I, you know, I don't want to say like blown away. I feel like people kind of overstate how blown away they are by chat GPT or whatever. I think it is obviously incredibly impressive, but it's also you know, has the, this, this sort of that the, the, um, it has the quality that a lot of, you know, genuinely transformative new technologies have, which is, it's, it's obviously impressive, and will do something interesting in people's lives, but it's not entirely clear what that will be. yet, mm -hmm. And that sort of activates, for me, the like, creative impulses of like a sci fi nerd, which is sort of like, well, so how is this actually going to play out? And like, where is it actually gonna, gonna take us? Um, and especially, you know, the final probably final component of that is like as a writer as somebody who thinks a lot about writing because i'm doing it all the time as somebody who has been in the media industry for a long time the specific generation of ai apps that just got released you know chat gpt and the rest of these sort of generative apps that produce writing on command um they're that's just sort of ipso facto interesting to me that these are like this is what i do and now the robot is doing it and that's it requires some thought about what that means and what it is yeah. Yeah. Tammy, what do you think? Are you interested in this topic at all? I'm I'm kind of with Max in that it does occupy quite a bit of my mind space these days. And I find yeah. myself reading about it mostly through links in Max's newsletter. So <laughs> I've been basically indoctrinated through my own inability. Say, at some point I asked Max, I was like, I Max, how do you find this stuff? You know, because I was like, <laughs> I had this plot idea in my head that I would go out searching for AI interesting takes by myself. You know, and he started sending me these links. I was like, I can't look through this. <laughs> 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 I, like, I don't understand half the words in this. <laughs> um, I don't care what the you as a as a era. writer, I imagine that you are somewhat skeptical of all of this, but you yeah, know, no, I mean, I think like I like some of the takes that Max has had because I think obviously like the labor intersections are really interesting, and you know, it's obviously coming up in not just the WGA strike, but in many other like labor contexts where unions are kind of trying to think about this and make sense of it, and then I think also just um, yeah, I mean, it comes up all the time, of course, like in at work and just you know people trying to figure it out comes up story at work? ideas. 
Yeah, because people, people are say? like, oh, like, what are the different story ideas and angles around like ChatGPT, you know? And I'm never um, invited to these meetings. What are these meetings that are happening? <laughs> Water cooler chat. Um, but yeah, I mean, I was going to ask you, Max, when you were saying in the beginning that a lot of like the tech energy is here, um, mm-hmm. is that sort of like, so do people think they're going to make real money off of this? Or is this just like another speculative, you know, this is like the new place that all the crypto bros have now gone to? Um, maybe there's no difference between like what's speculative and absurd and actually what people think is going to make money. But I, it's hard for me to kind of figure out like, well, what is the money making thing here? Yeah, it's I mean, I think that 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 that's still an open question. You know, it's um, like you can think about it on a few different levels where like you have a lot of tech, you know, ex crypto bros who are in on this not for the technology, but for the hype around the technology in mm-hmm. the sense that like if you can produce a business that has AI in its name or in its pitch or whatever, if you can produce a persona on Twitter where your thing is AI recommendations, you know, two years ago, you would have crypto would have been in place of AI. It doesn't matter what the business is. doesn't matter what it does. doesn't matter what it even has to do with AI, really. You're just trying to like ride that wave, whether it's by, you know, building a business that you can turn around and sell or by just sort of creating a big per- online persona that has all kinds of um, possible revenue opportunities. And then sort of below that, you actually have companies like OpenAI, but Google, Facebook, mm-hmm. Microsoft, who are heavily involved in like producing the breakthroughs that allow, you know, a, like that give, give you stuff like ChatGPT, that I think they have a bunch of long-term ideas about how this is going to make money, but still haven't found like the implementation um, that it's going to do. You know, probably people have played around with or at least seen articles about the Bing chatbot, oh, which yeah. is, you know, for, for Microsoft was sort of interesting just from on like a strategy level is Microsoft's Bing is Google's biggest rival, but Microsoft doesn't make a huge amount of its money out of Bing. So it can experiment with something like the Bing chatbot, which right now, you know, the Bing chatbot has no ads in it. It's not a revenue source. There's no way for, it doesn't make money the way Bing does or the way Google does. But if Microsoft can make Bing chatbot successful enough that it can dig into Google's market share, that's good for Microsoft. So at that point, so at that point, it's like not that AI is making money, it's just helping mm-hmm. you kneecap a rival, basically. Um, so, you know, I like I think it's an interesting and open question. I was just reading an interesting column in New York Magazine by John Herman about Google's implementation of these AI snippets. So now one thing Google is experimenting with is if you Google something like, you know, what's going on with the debt ceiling, they'll use their own version of ChatGPT to produce three or four paragraphs at the very top of your search results based on, you know, their corpus of data that they've scraped the internet of um, that's supposed to sort of answer your question. And this kind of thing has obviously created a lot of panic and fear among media businesses who tend to rely on Google traffic for their, to hit their goals and to survive. Um, But John's point was like, this also kind of eats into Google's margins. Google hasn't quite figured out how you insert ads into that or how you sell ads against it. It's not clear whether this is going to be something that's good for Google or bad for Google. So there's, there's still an enormous amount to be figured out, which is why I think mm-hmm. it's, you know, we should be vigilant about this as, as people whose livelihood is, is potentially on the line, but that you don't want to get too deep into the, like, the sky is falling, the sky is falling, because 
um, it's not clear exactly how this stuff is going to roll out. You know, I think we can all say that like probably the most popular, most successful uses of most of these applications that we've seen are like memes or shit posts. You know, it's like the, <laughs> yeah. the Pope Francis in the crazy coat kind of stuff. Yeah. Like the stuff that's fun and interesting and useful is like very clearly not profitable. Like there's no there's no profit margin there. It's just people making videos of of Joe Biden and Donald Trump playing Overwatch together or whatever. Um, <laughs> and so. So yeah, so like it's it's speculative. People think that there's going to be something for it. You know, one thing you'll see. I know I'm answering a long a question in a long way, but like there's a million different sort of aspects to it. It's like Google and Microsoft are probably both uh, on the verge of implementing kind of uh, AI functionality into Google Docs and Office, so that if oh. you're writing, a, this is like supercharged Clippy. You know, obviously yeah. the joke that everybody says. And so that's <laughs> like they're not making money directly from the AI tech, but it's obviously like an, a side benefit for products that they already have. I um, mean, that seems like for the like if I was had to bet that for me for the next few years, like that's the real that's where you're going to see it implemented is as add-ons to things that already that exist and not as sense. like a completely new product, right? Like a product differentiator where one will be better than the other, and that will actually be meaningful. Yeah, yeah, the financial part yeah. of it is interesting to me when compared to crypto because, like, look, I'm somebody who speculates wildly on all sorts of different things. <laughs> and, like, uh, the difference – and I think this actually will ultimately also influence the way in which Silicon Valley, like, employees, coders, engineers respond to some of this craze, which is that, like, with crypto, it was very easy to figure out how one could make money. There are all sorts of scammy ways that you could do it. You could copy and paste somebody's white paper and like throw up a coin on and then like find six people on Twitter to tweet about it. And it's possible that you could have made like a couple million bucks that way if the if your luck was the right way. Now, the larger projects, too, it's the same way. Every single project has a coin with it that people can speculate on. And the market to speculate on that coin is open that the day that the coin goes public, right? Or like whatever, like mm -hmm. launches mm -hmm. on some sort of exchange or another. And that you don't actually have to have a product to, ha to speculate on it. Um, now, that was kind of different than like, you know, when people are putting like Kodak, for example, which was like at that point, a totally dead company with like, decided they're going to be like blockchain based or something like that it was this big scandal and like right and it was totally just like some scam that like some heir like ninth generation heir to the kodak fortune decided <laughs> that he was going to do and that didn't you know like that all that stuff is short-lived but like i think that there is a reality in it in that like the big shift of a lot of talent in silicon valley to crypto over the years was totally financially incentivized right because like somebody could come up with a smart idea and they could get rich very quickly off of it yeah. And for AI, the place to put that speculative money is much less clear, right? Like if you're a retail investor, let's say you're like somebody who's a little bit more than a retail investor, or let's say you're just some dude who has like $2,000 and is sitting in his dorm room, right? Like where are you going to put the money, right? Mm -hmm. So right now, NVIDIA stock is going crazy, right? And they're saying, oh, it's the AI boom or like place like Palantir or something like that. Like these stocks are go have gone up massively in the past month or so. Mm. But like, that's different. You know, those are yeah. large cap stocks, right? Like it's not, <laughs> it's not like you're going to buy some shit coin that's going to 50X in two days and then you get out and you have like $2 million and you're like, holy shit, what happened to my life, you know? <laughs> and so like, I don't know, the financial part of it is interesting to me in that way. And I, I feel like mm -hmm. it's just like much more like walled off. Like you can't 
buy open AI stock, right? Like I'm right. pretty sure they're not public, right? Like, no. and so like, you can't, you can't like buy Sam Altman coin, right? Which I'm sure if they've released, there'd be wild speculation on something like that, but it God, just doesn't yeah. exist yet. Yeah. <laughs> I see. Yeah. There's a weird, like, um, you know, there, there, somebody's putting together a AI ETF that I've seen. So there will be like oh, wow. opportunities for retail investors right. to get in on it. But I totally agree, Jay, that there's no like fun. If you're a 21 year old, you know, how am I like getting rich off of this? And I think you see, you'll, you'll see a lot more sort of more classic, like entrepreneurial hustle bros doing like, you know, shitty little apps that use, that use the, the, the the chat gpt uh, oh yeah 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 to like fake assistance you know or like that app that everyone was making fun of that was like chat with historical figures on your phone um (laughs) which is like you know there's if you are like not if you're a gambler but if you're that kind of like driven like hustle entrepreneur mindset guy like that's that's where that's where the energy is that's where you want to be but it's funny there is no like there's no um Coin, you know, coin that's going to moon. There's no like, like, uh, you know, sit in front of your computer all day, clicking the button, hoping that the, the number stays green. Kind of right, aspect right, to this, yeah. um, which maybe makes which probably good for the develop. Frankly, good for the development of the ecosystem. I mean, you know, the ecosystem kind of sucks in the first place. But in terms of it not like becoming a super bubble, like better to not have a bunch of you know board college kids just plunging their life savings into it. Right, right. And creating the entire incentive for everything to be like that. That was the problem with crypto in some ways was that there were interesting things that one could do with smart contracts, for example, right? Like uh, there was like, like prediction markets really should be like uh, smart contracts might be an interesting way to do a prediction market, right? In, mm-hmm. in a yeah. country that is now increasingly gambling online. What is that? that? What do you mean? Smart contracts. A smart contract is basically like a Sorry. foundation <laughs> of Ethereum. We don't have to go into all of it, right? Well, like what there's is it essentially though? like a way in which two people can enter into a type of agreement without any other type of impediment or intermediary going through, right? Saying like, it's kind of like, in this case, you should think of it almost as like an escrow, right? Like, mm-hmm. and that that could that has a lot of different applications, which you know exist in decentralized finance, for example. Okay. That ended up being like kind of the last, I would say, the last gasp for the big crypto thing was like sort of DeFi stuff and DAOs and stuff like that. That was all based on smart contract gotcha. ideas. But okay. um, the the problem with it was that like people would build a start to build like a prediction market, for example, and then they would all get super rich and then they would move to Puerto Rico and the project would die, you know? And so I I agree with you. There is a robustness about this that does not feel quite like that, even if it's very tempting to compare the two. And I do think that that's just because of like the market reality that you can't so so wildly speculate on some of this stuff, because if you could, you would see all, you know, like I one day went on TikTok and I looked, I like sort of searched for dudes explaining how to get rich off AI. Of course, <laughs> there's like no shortage of these, you know, and it's like oh some guy kind of like it <laughs> runs the gamut between like, you know, kind of like people doing a fake mad money type of thing. Right. To like some Asian dude very calmly explaining, you know, being like, here's what, here's my spreadsheet and here's how I made a lot of, or here's how to make money. But their suggestions, the ones that are like kind of serious, are always like, 
you should buy alphabet stock. And I'm like, motherfucker, <laughs> you think I searched for your TikTok for you to tell me to buy Google stock? Like, are you like, are so misleading? Yeah. <laughs> Give me at least like two penny stocks that I can dump like 500 bucks into each, you know? Like, this, <laughs> this is pathetic. Oh, that's good. <laughs> um, yeah, it's tough, but that I don't know. I I do think that that's generally probably better for it. Um, but I don't know if it's like uh, I don't know. I don't know if it's really like determinative in any type of way. I tend to like I I, I Max. I agree with you. I'm always impressed by stuff. Like I was talking, I made some joke and with Danny Bessner on Twitter about Zelda, and he was like, "Oh, you should you know we should write about uh, Zelda from the." from the perspective of the Bokoblins, you know, and it's like blonde <laughs> oh man God, colonizer Danny. is coming <laughs> and trying to destroy, <laughs> trying to destroy all of our resources and, st- and strip mining like all the Zodanite in our lands. And it's just like indiscriminately shooting us in the head with arrows, you know, which is what the game is, right? It's an extremely <laughs> colonial game. And that's so like literally, in- that's, that's literally the McSweeney's joke about Howard Zinn and Noam Chomsky. Have you ever read that Howard Zinn and Noam Chomsky watch <laughs> no. Lord of the Rings and they have this exact, oh, conversation about lord of the rings oh my god no 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 but zelda is fucked up in that way because in the new zelda like the it's basically built on building all these machines but they're like the thing you're building are are basically tanks and and bombers (laughs) and to build all this stuff you have to spend all this time in this part called the depths and the depths you mine this element called zonanite Mm -hmm. and the way that you get zonanite is you just like parachute into like groups of bokoblins and just blow them up and then oh you just steal all their zonanite and you use it to make tanks and the <laughs> tanks are used to go back in the depths and blow up more bokoblins get more zonanite you know it's like wow it's like purely anyway i as a joke used chat gp or gpt4 and i was basically just like write a narrative of zelda from the perspective of the bokoblins you know <laughs> about like the imperialistic or the colonial, like, uh, you know, the or whatever colonial impulses of the Hyrule Kingdom. And what it came up with was pretty funny, you know? And I was just, <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> yeah, just like, that, it. I, was like, I was like, could I do better than this? I'd be like, yeah, maybe, probably. <laughs> <laughs> this is worrisome for the WGA. Um, I mean, it reminded me, too, of Max, what you were saying in, your, in one of your posts about, like, how it's vibes. How like mm, yeah. the chat GBT gets vibes, right? Like it gets facts totally wrong. And I think, was this around the, the lawyer who tried to yeah. use it for Yeah, legal case. That <laughs> was like amazing as like a law graduate. I was like, oh my God. Because first of all, like all of that LexisNexis stuff, like it already does it for you and it's not that hard. And this guy yeah. like is like making up cases. Well, I love the funniest thing about that was that he then asked the chat I know. Oh, is this a real case? And so I was I like, know. yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, dying. yeah. It's definitely, trust me, it's <laughs> definitely real. It's like really good. <laughs> uh, yeah. I, I mean, this stuff is like, I shouldn't say this out loud. I'm in the process of getting a piece fact checked right now. And this is going to, and, and so I don't want to, like, I feel oh, like yeah. I double check what I write constantly. Like, I'm constantly afraid of having something that I wrote turn out to be wrong. So even just like the mindset to just go to the, the, Go oh to the machine, God. treat the machine like God, be like, machine's right. It's got to be right. It just gave me some names. It's just like so alien to me. I can't, I can't even imagine it. Um, yeah. But it, you know, it's, I, I do think there's going to be like, that's not going to be the last story like this happening. Like I think yeah. one way that one thing that is 10 years from now or whatever, I think it's going to feel in the same way that it, it sort of feels 
weird, you know, you, you stab yourself sometimes and you're like, I can't believe I ever used to like know how to get places without my mm-hmm. map on my phone. Like, I, I can't, like, there will be at some point in the future where you're saying to you, I don't know what it's, I don't know what the, I can't believe yeah. is going to be, let's say, but there will be some point in the future where we're all used to these technologies, like accepting of them in some capacity and like aware of what they're both, what they're good at and also what their limitations are. And it's this weird moment right now when they've just sort of been thrown on us and Mm -hmm. there's been a lot of really bad coverage of them and people are still kind of experimenting with them. You're going to get a lot of guys like that lawyer who tries to look up cases and comes up with a bunch of fake cases that he then literally files in a brief. Um, and, you know, I'm sure that college professors have a million stories right now. Oh, my gosh. They're talking about it incessantly. That's yeah. like all they I think that's all they talk about. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I like I do think I think the people who are going to be most thrown off by this are not journalists uh, or screenwriters. It's going to be college professors, especially mm-hmm. college professors who do writing seminars. Like, I think that's the that's the place where it's going to have the most fucked up impact or where it's going to, like, change their jobs the most. Because I don't like. I don't know, you know, there's no, there's no easy way to find out whether or not something is chat GP, is, is made by chat GPT. And the other thing is like writing seminars kind of teach people to write like an AI, like that's yes, a lot exactly. of what they're looking for. Exactly. So like you're, I think you have to re- re- rework those courses from the ground up, hopefully for the better. <laughs> but I also sort of worry that what happens is you just abandon those courses entirely instead of being like, well, mm-hmm. how can we discover a way to like, teach writing well and make it valuable to people and whatever else they're like well we figured out we solved writing so now we don't need to make kids you know learn it anymore if they're just going to get an engineering degree or whatever i know i think of that that sometimes because i when my kid wants to play video games i make her write like a page or two (laughs) of a story and and i give her some prompts and i say hey why don't you just describe this thing you're doing you know Mm. this is how you describe something and recently I've been thinking, what is the point of this? You know? <laughs> <laughs> like, is she going to really need to write in the same way? And oh I gosh, find that so intrusion bad. to be really unwelcome, obviously, for my own livelihood. But I don't really care about my <laughs> livelihood to a certain yeah. extent, right? But, like, it's more just, like, will the will this thing get good enough and will people be philistine enough to not care at all about whether or not good writing exists beyond this one thing and uh does it really matter for 95 percent of kids or 95 percent of people whether they write well or not because most of them are not going to write better than chat gpt anyway you know and yeah. so like why like for all those people they're just going to say well why wouldn't i just use this and they'll probably be right about it you know but it has been like a very intrusive thought recently i still do it because like i don't you know, but sometimes I think maybe I should change the risk reward system to like math or something like, or not risk reward, the, reward, the Zelda reward system. Well, math. I mean, it's funny you say math because like what we're now at the point where that sort of joke about, you know, like I, everything you learn in math in elementary and middle school and even high school, you can basically do on a calculator. What's the point? Like that's right. now going to be increasingly true of writing composition. And yeah. even to some extent of like the things you learn about in English, like how to analyze a text, like something ChatGPT is relatively good at is if you give it a text asking it what's happening in it and what's going on. Not like Mm. necessarily like high level sort of um, sophisticated analysis, but just really basic, like give me the bullet points of what's going on here, which again is the kind of thing you learn in an eighth grade, ninth grade English class. This, the machine can do it pretty well. And so I don't know. I mean, like the, the positive case is like these classes, 
the way we do that kind of education needed to be rethunk anyway. I think like all of us having gone through educational systems like this can say like it wasn't this wasn't like a great way to learn. It's not like it's not necessarily changing a lot of people's lives. But realistically, we know that it's not going to be some like great democratic convening of all the greatest minds in education to determine how <laughs> like we should be imbuing students with the love of literature. It's going to be a bunch of like right wing politicians and busybody parents, you know, bottom line focused, you know, state governments being like, well, do kids really need to learn English? Do colleges really need to have big English departments? Um, How woke is chat GPT? <laughs> well, they're going to make sure that whatever, like, you know, Texas GPT is going to be defiantly anti-woke, yeah, whatever they yeah. use to teach, to teach like, the Texas school. Not kids. only do we not use they, them pronouns, we've abolished it from the entirety of Texas GPT. <laughs> Every single noun is either he or she. <laughs> there's no it. There's no, co- there's no collective There's no collective. We've pronoun We've reintroduced anymore. gender to the English language, gender nouns to the English language. It's in all order individualized. To... Yeah. I think it does feel like a natural ed tech slot because those yeah. guys have been, you know, obviously creating just like random stupid markets to intervene and destroy oh the public God, education yeah. system for like 40 years now. So I was thinking about them with this because I think it's not just college professors, but it's also like middle school and high school teachers because their yeah. students are already playing with this stuff and trying to figure out the, what they can get away with. Yeah. Um, and it's like fun. And I understand the fun part, I think, for the kids, but it's sort of like they need to kind of know what it's. Deployed, yeah, can be deployed to be yeah i mean the yeah. funniest the funniest solution to this i saw was some professor being like well i'm going to solve this by like actually giving grades instead of just like giving everybody an a or a b there's college professors you know in particular have a problem with grade inflation but it's like yeah if you stop giving chat gpt le- level essays b's and you start giving them d's or worse then i don't i don't know i don't know how well you're how much you're going to solve the problem all on your own but at least there is like a system for dealing with <laughs> Like it's being flooded with, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, I mean, the, the one other thing I'll say that I think is really interesting is that, that there is, you know, I, I have never actually used it, but there's, you see, you, I see YouTube ads for it all the time, but like people use Grammarly. Grammarly, which is like, exactly. Yeah. And all everybody I know who works in tech, who works with a lot of H1B ESL employees, like people who are coming from China or India who aren't, you know, English as a first, they all use Grammarly and love it because it allows them to write and respond to emails. Um, more proficiently than they would if they were, you know, trying to sort of hack it out of their, like, out of, out of whatever English skills they actually have. Yeah. And so like, when I want to think of like, what the, what the silver lining part of this is, I think there's like, there's like that kind of giving people, um, maybe, a, maybe a broader way to put it would be like, command of English, ability to write are real, are, are things that I believe in and I love and are important to me for my professional review, but they're also class markers and class signifiers. It's like ways that we determine whose emails are worth responding to, whose emails, uh, you know, who, 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 who we should follow up with on a job interview or whatever. And I think you could make, I'm not going to go all the way here, but I think you can make an argument that this kind of technology can be a leveler in that sense, that if you can right. say people who are capable at doing things, but it, doing everything except for writing the email should get the equal shot at the, at the guy who writes the email really well. Um, Again, like in the real world, that's <laughs> things that seem like they're going to be levelers almost always end up being the opposite. But like we can think for a minute that maybe there's a, <laughs> there's a way in which this has that kind of effect. Yeah, we need like a socialist defense of ChatGPT that relies on like, <laughs> the fact exactly. that the education system, basically the access that you get outside of just saying like, hey, we're doing X, Y, and Z uh, is much more like how you communicate with the world and show off your 
education and the fanciness of one's education, which usually does happen via writing, right? Yeah. Um, it's not like these kids are so advanced in math or something like that, right? It's more just that they can sort of communicate and signal things. And yeah, maybe there can be like a, hey, I went to Dalton GPT. They just recomposes all of your emails for you. Yeah, and then like parents that. are like, why am I paying $60,000 a year? This broke Chinese kid just to like, who can't even yeah. speak English good, just went and wrote all these cover letters like he went to Dalton. And it sounds exactly <laughs> what I just paid all this money for my kid to go to. See, that would be cool. I don't know. Right. Good, or you do the, there's like the, to, the Tom Ripley GPT where you like pretend you went to, you're like, write this email as though we went to Princeton together and reference like three details. things about Princeton, about Princeton in this email. I love that. Oh, yeah, that would be incredible. <laughs> we should just start that, you know? <laughs> there, there's our money-making opportunity. <laughs> we just, we scrape, you know, like as much documents from like people who went to Ivy League schools as possible. And then we're like, this is the Ivy GPT. This is I love yeah, that. Yeah, actually, we that. just go on, we've somehow like steal the email list of every private school's yeah, like, uh, exactly. recruitment um, thing. And then we just email all the parents be like, would you like to pay $50,000 a year for your kid to go to school? Well, for the low price of $19.99 a month, we're going to give you <laughs> we're going to give you Horace Mann GPT that makes it seem like your kid went. <laughs> you can just send your kid to the to whatever public school, you know, that you can and then and, and you know, and in the end you'll you'll get the same result, which I don't know, maybe is true, you know? I guess it's, you know, you don't get the same connections, but right, you know. Yeah. Um but there are these weird applications. Like, it. have you guys heard Lori Anderson talk about her project? Where, like, I can't remember which university it is, but all her stuff, her interviews, her songs, all and Lou Reed's are all going to this college, and they're basically building this like, like I don't know, it's like almost like a cryogenic like AI <laughs> thing where like you'll be able to oh, basically yeah. talk to yeah, Lou yeah, Reed yeah, and Lori yeah, Anderson yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. through machine. Anyway, I just I feel like there are all these like. Now that we have kind of like this vocabulary around like LLM, what is it like large? Is it large, large language, language model? Language model, yeah. Right. So like you mentioned Grammarly, I was thinking about like just even like the early cell phones and predictive texting. Yeah. And those really annoying things that Google does on your Gmail to finish your sentences and stuff like all of that is kind of this, right? That was, those yeah. were like the progenitors of like the stuff that we're kind of freaking out about now. Um yeah, I feel like that's kind of helped me like not yeah. freak out as much. Yeah, I mean, it is like we have been using a lot of these yeah. for a long time. I mean, even and like can, Google like, predictive no search is that too. Yeah, yeah. You don't have to. Nobody's making you. I mean, stuff like yeah. the Laurie Anderson Lou Reed thing is like when it gets play, pitched to me as like you can talk to Laurie Anderson Lou Reed. Oh I'm God. just like that's so cheesy. Like, please don't <laughs> put it like that. But if you if you put it in in terms that were like we have an entire corpus of text from two extremely important 21st century American artists and a, like mm-hmm. a novel way to query that that corpus to like answer questions to like make quali- quantitative analysis of it. I you know it's not my bag necessarily, but I can see that being interesting and fascinating and good that if like I see every once in a while and I should admit I haven't actually like read any of these but people using if not chat GPT sort of similar statistical analysis of like all the Jane Austen novels or like a big selection of novels from a particular period of time and saying like you know at the very basic level how 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 is this word used or how is this word not used but the more sophisticated you get your LLM the more sophisticated kind of questions you can ask it and I think that like you know, without going too overboard, I think there's probably a lots of really interesting things you can do if you have that, if you have that ability and if you're using it, you know, properly, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Good. This is a very positive talk about the, uh, I know. the last time I talked <laughs> no, about I the show, I talked with Ben and it was like, he, you know, he's like a 
pretty skeptical about it, but I don't know. I think I, the more I use it, I, I, I do find my, and I think Ben would also say this is that it is very impressive and it's hard not to speculate on things, but um, I don't know, Max, I agree with you. I think that whatever revolution we're going to see is down the road. And we don't, I don't, who knows, you know? Yeah. Does anyone really I mean, know and I, you know, I want to be clear, like, there's a lot that I'm really skeptical about. And what Tammy was saying about the labor angle, to me, like, that's the only angle. It's the question is right. less, like, what is ChatGPT going to be used for or not used for? Like, that's interesting. And I've speculated all day. But I think the question in terms of, like, the bad future is, like, what, who are the people ChatGPT is going to be tasked to replace? And how bad a job is it going to be do at is it going to, is it going to do at replacing them? You know, and teachers right. obviously I think are like uh, on the front lines of that kind of For question. Sure. I mean, write, writers too, of course. I mean, my suspicion is that it's going to that the um, that businesses that want to replace their writers with LLMs, like journalism businesses movie studios are, will find very quickly that they're really not yet up for the task, but yeah. um, that's not going to stop them from trying. And it, and, and it's going to cause havoc in some places, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, like, so when I, like, when I try to think of like, like good applications is very often it's these sort of academic or like interpersonal applications that have no real profit. You know, there's like no profit to that, which is exactly why they're not going to be the ones that are going to be pursued early. Those are going to be the right. ones that, yeah. you know, in some future where it doesn't, where that, none of the rest of that mattered, it would be great to see translation across email and like, you know, querying large corpuses of 19th century novels as the top uses of, of large language models. But <laughs> way more likely it's going to be like, oh, instead of a fifth grade teacher, you have a, a computer that you can ask questions oh to or whatever. Right. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, all right. Well, let's switch gears in and let's talk about that, which is the second thing we brought you on to talk about is the WGA strike. And the reason, um, you know, there's obvious parallels to what we were talking about here. You were a member of the WGA. You wrote a post explaining why you were going on strike. Um, and, uh, you know, you had some important caveats in there as well, which, you know, we can discuss or not discuss, not in terms of your support of the strike, but just like, you know, in terms of like where you've made the majority of your living and, um, where you are as a screenwriter. But, you know, I don't think that that's so important because the issues are the same. I was having this conversation with a friend of mine who doesn't really work in the industry, but is sort of tangential, certainly not a screenwriter, but, um, you know, works in entertainment and he is just like well i don't know like how much of this is really about ai you know like how much of it is i don't know the answer to that question because you know it's not really something that you can figure out without like you know delving deep in the hearts of studio (laughs) executives or something like that but i don't know just to start (laughs) out this conversation like what role does that have because it's something that's discussed and the thing that i can't really tell is whether it's discussed because it's a real thing or if it's like some sort of like effect in which people just want to attach ai to everything right and have a conversation about that now that the scenario is obviously very clear which is is something that i used to think about all the time like 10 years ago which was like why can't a computer just tell me what the plot of my novel is going to be because i don't (laughs) don't care about plot really Mm -hmm. i just want to write like beautiful sentences and like, I was just like, well, why, if a computer just tells me a plot and it's a good enough plot, then I'll just use that plot. You know, it's kind of like Point Break or something like that, right? Point Break, break is like the most obvious movie plot, but it's still a really I know great Fast movie. And the first Fast and the Furious movie just stole Point Break's plot. Like, yeah, literally yeah. Just stole Point Break's Both plot. great movies, by the <laughs> yeah. way. You know, like it's the same it thing. It doesn't matter. The formula works. So why wouldn't I just use a formula for my novel and basically build like almost like a dress pattern or something like that, right? Yeah. Um, and so when... 
OpenAI came, when ChatGPT came out, I was like messing around with it a lot based on that. You know, I was like, just yeah. write a nice script for me or uh, write a nice like novel plot for me that I'll just take and I'll just use as a superstructure and I'll just make it my own. And in the end, it'll probably be more coherent than like a plot that I make up myself, which is going to have all these weird bulges in it. And like, you know, like isn't going to end that. I can't even keep track of because my right. brain is not like, wired that way but i'm like it's just like stupidity at some level like right like i'm like extremely stupid at that type of stuff but like you know is do you think it's part of this at all like do you feel like that's like the larger existential question underlying this because i don't necessarily think it is but i've just heard it a lot yeah yeah i mean um like so for context the the before the past couple years i think everyone has felt like writers were headed for a strike and the big issue before AI had become such a buzzword was um, essentially just that like the the reality of writer compensation had changed. Uh, the streamers were making more shows, but using fewer writers um, were kind of uh, reducing the amount of time that they would employ writers. And maybe most importantly, they were not paying writers. So, you know, network TV, you get a fee for writing a script, but you also get residuals on that script. So every time it airs in syndication, you get a check. Um, And for years, the way most writers made money in between their regular gigs and writers' rooms was they'd get residual checks in the mail from every time their episode of Dallas or Cheers or Friends or Lost or whatever ran. Um, And streamers don't want to do that because they don't want to reveal how many people are watching their shows. Um, So residual checks were attached to like how often, how popular a show was more or less. Um, But Netflix and whoever else doesn't want to do that. So they, um, they'll give you a flat residual fee, um, which means that all of a sudden you're going from like, okay, I have, I'm in a writer's room every other year or so, but in the fallow year I get, you know, all these checks to, I'm not getting checks ever. I'm in a writer's room every two or three years and it's not even as long as it used to be. Mm-hmm. So to me, that's still the sort of bottom line. Like that's the the most important issue for us um, in the, you know, as, as, as screenwriters. But um, AI has come, I think, partly because as you're saying, it is this like huge newsy topic that allows the strike to get attention. You know, people right. are afraid of or interested in AI. So if you put AI in your signs, you talk a lot about AI, people will cover it. Like partly because writers, I mean, I went to a bunch of guild meetings before the strike and at every single meeting, there was at least two people who would get up to the mic to ask a question of negotiating pity. And they would have these essentially monologues, you know, there's just like comment, not a question type people who had monologues <laughs> about AI. It's a real, it like, there are certain Surprise. people who just like seizes the, their brain and they can't stop thinking about it. Um, <laughs> And I think that there's an aspect in which the studios are kind of okay with AI being like a big focus because they, the sm- I imagine the smart ones must look at this and see what I do, which is like these, the software is not yet capable of writing a decent movie script. It's not going to re- replace writers wholeheartedly. So if we can, we're, that's like something they're actually probably, they're probably willing to give up a little bit of AI protection in the contract if it means that they don't have to give up as much wages. That being said, and, and, I, and I'll say that one reason I've been thinking about this is, um, so the, the Directors Guild, the Writers Guild, and the Screen Actors Guild, the contracts are all up right now. And right. Right. writers are striking. Actors maybe will be striking. They're in negotiations right now. Directors just signed a contract. They know they didn't strike. I don't think we really expected them to, but um, mm-hmm. you know, it's a, sort of a bummer from our perspective. Mm-hmm. But 
the big thing they're touting is they're saying, well, look, we got AI protections in our contract. And I haven't actually seen their points in their contract. I don't know. I don't, I mean, I'm talking totally out of school here, but you know, it's the kind of thing where you might say, maybe they didn't get the kind of wage rises that they, wage raises they actually wanted or needed because they got this big AI thing. Mm-hmm. So that, I think that there's like, there's truth to that. Maybe the way to put it is like, AI is not unimportant, but we don't want to keep our eyes off the prize, which is like maintaining writer employment, maintaining writer compensation, ensuring that like a portion, the correct portion, a fair portion of profits comes to writers for every successful show. Mm-hmm. But I think the the place where AI is wants to get its foot in the door, where studios would like to get AI put, you know, start using AI is exactly what you're saying. Um, is like have AI come up with a plot or a concept and then pay and then get a writer to like revise or write the script off of it. And to me, like in a vacuum, whatever, like paid work is paid work. If, if you have some shit, if like, if you're hiring me to, you know, to me, it's like not that different from being hired to write a shitty movie script off of IP or off of a fairy tale or whatever. Right. The only difference is what they want is to create IP with AI and then pay, and then because of the way the contract is structured, they can pay me less mm-hmm. for like revising that. an AI work or adapting an AI work versus if I was writing something myself. And so the fear, and I fully believe that executives would like to do this and would do this because they are this stupid and this evil, that they would just come up with some dumb bullshit and bring me into a room and be like, I'd like you to adapt this and we're going to pay you the adaptation fee for it, but not the full fee. And I look at it and it's just like gobbledygook. It's drivel. It has nothing. I like, I'm going to have to from the ground up build this thing. Um, And I think the, 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 to me, like in terms of like AI protections, like that specifically is the most important thing to get in the contract is like, you know, uh, I think the language we use when we're talking about it publicly is sort of, you know, you should get the same amount of money, for adapting a script from an AI pitch that you do adapting a script from a Wikipedia article, which is to say like the same money that you would get writing a script from something from, from your own brain. Right. Um, and so I'm more worried about that than I am about some like really vague, like AI will never do a human's job or whatever. It's like, right, right, like right, and I, right. I don't think the deal is falling. I mean, we have, this is a powerful union that has very smart people in the negotiating committee, very smart lawyers working on this. Um, but I think in the sort of general sense, it's very easy for people who are, feeling paranoid about AI, feeling nervous about yeah. whatever to sort of fall into this, like forgetting the really, the, the, how important it is to think about the specifics about how this tech is going to be used to undermine our labor protections, basically. Mm-hmm. I thought about that when that dude, like when that company, there was like a big announcement that everyone was making fun of on Twitter, including me about this like software that had come out in which like uh, some, it was like some monotone Asian dude, much like myself. Yeah. And he was like, <laughs> I have come up, we have come up with a software that can write your novels for you. And, you know, it, I didn't see it, that. It used pseudo, it's called pseudo, right. Is the name. Yeah. No. Yeah. We've well, but it. not pseudo P S E U. It's pseudo. Of course S-U-D-O. Right, yeah. right. And it was like, we, uh, <laughs> we consulted with 200 novelists who use this and we got their consultations from it and they love it, you know? <laughs> and I was thinking about it in my head, I was just like, Oh, well, the way that this can be used, if it actually works, and I'm sure that there's some function to it that is like at least impressive for 10 minutes or something like that, is that one can just sit there and um, make 5,000 different IP, like silly serialized novels, right? And you can 
license every single one of them to yourself, right? Or mm-hmm. copyright every single one of them. And then you can shop all of them around in some sort of public space, right? Where people share this type of stuff. And then one of them becomes IP. And the reason why I was thinking about that was because in Korea, this web, this, uh, you know, webtoon, Tammy, do you know about this? Like this webtoon Which one? network? No, I'm just talking about oh, in general. No. Like there uh-huh. are these huge repositories yeah. of, of IP, of, not IP, but of like basically web comics. Yeah. And they're all generated by people. And it's very hard to navigate because there's so much of it. And some of them got turned into wildly popular television shows yeah. that are good. You know, like almost yeah. all of the dramas right now are webtoons. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so then <laughs> so I was like, wild. It's like if, like, you know, during Live Journal or something like that, right? Like if, like, movies were just being made from Live Journal. That's yeah. not to say that Live Journal is bad or that the webtoons are bad. It's just that, like, it's that chaotic of a mm-hmm. space. And so my thought with the pseudo dude, I was like, you picked the wrong industry, my man. What you should have done is you should have not told anyone that you developed this and you should have just flooded the world with like shitty IP, you know, yeah. and just hope that one of them takes off. You could even just make up the traffic numbers for, you know, the downloads for this thing sort of thing. And you could convince one person in Hollywood, I guarantee to buy this IP, you know, like, yeah. um, based off because they're not going to check. Right. And so like, um, <laughs> I don't know. It it is kind of scary in that way, right? Like where it's like, yeah. okay, is the world going to be flooded with this type of terrible IP, and is the job of the super of the screenwriter no longer going to be to um, rewrite a Batman movie that like a studio paid <laughs> millions and millions and millions of dollars for the IP, right? Or or is it just going to be like, well, you know, we have a bat dude, <laughs> <laughs> bat bat underwear dude. <laughs> and uh you know like he fight like you know it's like just stuff like that where it's just like kind of it's almost like go bots right coming after yeah. transformers where you just yeah. have like these like increasingly totally. shittier versions of something that are so cheap to buy that it's like alluring for people who are after i mean we have like so one of the interesting things about so the, after that after this the pseudo right video came out I remember there was a woman um on twitter who was like i'm a novelist who uses this all the time and like it's really it's really huh. great. And mm-hmm. it came out that she was, I mean, there's no way to she say will. this without sounding really <laughs> snobby, but she was, she's like a, a Kindle romance yeah. novelist, basically. And I she was, was say, she yeah. was writing like 30 or 40 versions, literally, I'm not even kidding, 30 or 40 different versions of Pride and Prejudice at a time and just like throwing them up there. Incredible. And like, mm-hmm. that was a, it was a gut check for me because I think, again, a little bit like what we're talking about in terms of like being really specific about your fears, like, I think we all can see that like literary novels are not threatened by AI. There's not like partly because literary novels don't exist or like the, the industry like, of literary novels like, exists for people like us. Anyway. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But there's just not that many, but like the, the big sort of roiling sea of like romance novels, action novels, like one-off self-published stuff that gets published on mm-hmm. Kindle, which is not like an immense, is not like a, like a, like a, it not, doesn't rival Hollywood as an industry, but is a, quite a big industry and it's like very real i think that's like like chat gpt is like a laser guided missile right there because that's a bunch of people who are like i want to kill an hour you know at my job or on my commute or whatever just reading something a little bit sexy or a little bit violent or whatever that i'm i don't give a shit about whether it's original i don't give a shit about the quality of the prose and chat gpt is just going to serve it can make 50 of those or you know probably more likely it'll be something like this program where it's like you have a program that does a lot of the work and you have a human who is just kind of like entering in inputs, fixing awkward passages, like whatever else. Um, and I do think it's, it's a very interesting, there's no way that 
those, some of those won't end up breaking through, like from the the self-publishing world to the sort of mainstream, the way Fifty Shades of Grey did, and no way that right. those won't eventually end up being adapted. Um, so, I mean, yeah, I think you're right. There's like, there's, there's all these machines now for creating IP, for self-publishing, for owning it, um, that I think, I don't know, I did watch, there's, there's, there's at least one writer who does like, uh, I don't think she uses Twitch, she does YouTube lives of herself, like writing with it. I think she works for the company and she shows off the, to show off the features. And I found it like really fascinating. I don't think it's for me. I mean, I'm not, I don't, it's not the way I think or the way I write, I don't think, but like, it's, it's wild watching like, you know, sort of like typing a paragraph and then having it come up with five paragraphs afterwards that sort of fit that and then going back and trying to fix them. And like, um, it's a different, it's a weird and different skill. And I think, I mean, I think maybe to the, to, you know, in the spirit of trying to come up with like silver linings as I have been on the same, there's like, there's something interesting in like the, the, the skill is different enough that I think you, that you might open up you know the the like different kinds of production different kinds of novels different kinds of of, of cultural work that come out of this mm-hmm. stuff right probably it most feels... of it's just going to be shit but maybe some like there's a just... there's a version to this and look i i've like you know this has nothing to do with an ongoing labor fight or anything like that but i find <laughs> myself sometimes looking at writers who say um nothing really counts unless i come up with it from scratch right mm-hmm. on my uh using like this pen and this like whatever expensive notebook I bought from whatever bookstore, right? That, it doesn't really matter. Skin. Yeah. <laughs> but those are the same exact arguments that took place when hip hop was really sort of becoming huge or electronic music, right? Around sampling and stuff like that. And I thought that there was probably a way in which one could write using chat GPT that would be much closer to that. That would be super interesting. Um, yeah that we would acknowledge, I mean, it's like, I don't know, we always mention this person, but it's similar to like the ideas that like Holly Herndon had about stuff for a while, right? Yeah. Um, And that, uh, I do think that there's kind of a vanity around that type of idea that doesn't actually mirror the way in which people actually write or think about writing. Yeah. And I do find it interesting creatively. Now, from a labor standpoint, I do think it's a catastrophe, right? But um, just from a purely like literary standpoint, I do think it opens up some interesting stuff. Like I imagine that at some point there will be almost like a Luddite type of movement in literature that um, tries so aggressively in a way that maybe like a type of punk music was, right? Like maybe in the 1980s to be so divorced from this type of kind of polite GPT model that actually does sound a lot like elite prep, you know, like like the elite media a lot of times. Yeah. Um, And that like, you know, it's just going to be like, it'll feel very kind of like late eighties, nineties, right. Where people like, I have published my new article. It's one word. And the word is like, fuck. (laughs) 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 Bitch. (laughs) (laughs) Like all the words that GVT won't let you use, you know, you know, um, I don't know what else GVT doesn't let you use, but you know, I'm sure that there's going to be many political variants of it. Like some people are like, well, GPT won't let you say, you know, like, like you just like drop a bunch of phrenology type of references or something like that. And that, that stuff, I think, you know, maybe not that specific example, but there will be examples of it that I yeah. do think will be generative and interesting. And I'm actually in, kind of excited about that future because, like, I, I like, I am, I think I've talked about this in the show quite a bit, or at least in other places where I like, I really do enjoy the process of sitting and typing. It's how I'm able to like generate so many words a week. 
but I don't know, like, you know, like we've been doing the same thing, which is just sitting in front of word processor my entire life. It would be cool to have like different types of things that you're playing around with. And it, in those spaces, Max, I agree with you. It's not so different. Like, look at James Patterson. Like, you know, like for yeah. how many years has James Patterson basically just been like a GPT model that he puts mm-hmm. his name on, right? And he has somebody else write the book and he just puts his name on it. It's James Patterson and X. If he's nice about it, it's like James Patterson plus whoever actually wrote the book. And that that type of work probably is pretty endangered, right? Like there's no, there's no reason why a smart person couldn't just use uh, LLM to write that type of book um, yeah. as long as they did a reasonable amount of curation to it. Yeah. Um, and I don't know, like I don't, I find like the outright dismissal of that type of stuff to be a bit, um, I don't know, I guess a bit precious, but I do think that it's necessary to even say that type of stuff from a labor standpoint. And so I think it's fine to just say it, you know, but um, I don't think it'll be particularly convincing to like the next generation of kids who are going to grow up with this type of technology and will experiment with it in ways that I think we'll all find really interesting, even if we say like, fuck. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Well, and I think in other spaces where we're more used to the idea of collective authorship, it's like even more kind of loosey because if you're thinking about like songwriting or something, like some of the stuff you're describing is like, yeah, just like chord bank, chord progression banks. Mm -hmm. So like, you know, like all these pop songs are kind of like built around the same model. Like, what does that look like? Yeah. Or like animation. Like if you get a computer just to like do all of the next you know, 500 frames of the action of this character. Like, so, you know, and I think like those people, the people who are working in those spaces and doing like interstitial parts of that production have never really gotten credit for their authorship and their creativity. And so it also like, on the one hand, it's like, oh yeah, like, you know, I think it like um, kind of destabilizes this whole question of like, well, who's creating, right? And who should be compensated for this stuff. Um, One thing I was going to follow up with you on, Max is like with the AI stuff, like I agree that it seems like maybe not the most important part of the contract, but in the back and forth between WGA and the studios, it it looked like you guys had asked for specific things. Like we don't, well, we only want human creation for IP, blah, blah, blah. Um, and then the, I think, wasn't the thing that the studios came back to you with was we'll meet with you once yeah. a year to once talk a year about to discuss AI, the, to discuss right? so to do this I'm podcast sort of like, to discuss advances in AI. exactly yeah. i'm like uh, okay <laughs> so like be, yeah like is everybody televised. kind of saying incredible. this is bullshit or like what like is that about James yeah. yeah i i mean i the, yeah. <laughs> the, the the negotiation process they are i don't the studios are playing real hardball and all i have is like rumors about what what is going on there but i think they i am i assume this is like you know, mostly speculation. I assume that there are one or two studio representatives in the room who are really bullish on AI, who really do want to get it in the in the contract, that who don't want to give anything up in the contract, no kinds of protections. Mm-hmm. That they they see it as an integral, like long term business plan. Whether it's for the sake of coming up with IP, or whether it's like literally AI building whole scripts, directing whole movies, whatever it would be. And yeah. I assume too there are there are companies who don't really give a shit but are happy to like hold out on AI because yeah. it's a, okay. uh, a, right. a big piece of leverage they can use. They can give that up and get something else in return. Right. Um, so you know, like I, I I want to like like the problem. I guess the the problem is you also don't want to sort of say AI is not the issue right now because I think it will be. I think the next contract right. or the, the one after that it really will be. Yeah. And one reason we're striking now is like we can't. I don't want to. I shouldn't say this 
too negatively, but like we didn't get what we needed to get from the streamers in 2007, in like seven, that, or yeah. sorry, 2008. That should have been yeah. that strike. We should have done a better job of seeing what was what the writing was on the wall and ensuring that we got the residual protection we needed. Mm-hmm. Um, not that we necessarily could have, you know, it's 2020 hindsight, but like you don't want that to happen again with something like AI, where you don't get those protections now and find yourself striking again in, in 20 years when a when a precedent has been set and mm-hmm. there's not much else you can do about it. Right. Um, so that's helpful. Yeah. yeah I, well, um, one of the things you wrote about in terms of like the larger question was that like part of the that you are like you know like you're not as you said a long term like you didn't write on like you know um cheers or whatever and like it's not like this is a space that you're so that you've been part of for a very long time but that you felt a type of relatability right because of your experience with digital journalism, which is something the three of us have all been through, right? Yeah. And what happened. 2010 massacres. Right. Yeah. Well, I mean, like everything, right? You can just name it. It's like, um, we pivot to video, right? So yeah. eliminate a whole bunch of jobs, um, right? Like the sort of expansion of digital media as a way and people getting, you know, jobs sort of meaning less and less and, you know, contracts getting worse and worse and basically people becoming expendable, and that, you know, I like, do you want to talk a little bit more about that? Cause I'm very interested yeah. in that. I was having a conversation with a podcast friend and repeat guest, Tommy Craggs about this. And we were talking about it and he was like, well, don't you feel any type of, uh, or do you feel any type of solidarity with this struggle because of your own experiences in, um, digital media and journalism. And I was like, I don't know, you know, like, what can you, like, what, what is the, what is the link to you? Because it's not that I didn't feel that it's more just that, like, it felt almost abstract to me. Concretely speaking. what is Right. Right. Whereas like, well, that was like, um, like, it wasn't like there was like a firmament upon which like the other stuff like I just never even experienced the good days, right? Because yeah. I came in and it's like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just, yeah. <laughs> just like, what do you mean? Like the days when like I was making a salary as like a fact checker somewhere, or, like as an associate editor. So I was like, that never happened. I was like totally shut out of the industry. I don't. I didn't have yeah. anything. I just like. Uh, so yeah, yeah. Can you just talk a little bit about that? Because I think it's an interesting yeah. point. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, there's a bunch of different ways to approach it. I think sort of on a. Um, on a on a kind of basic level, it's like uh, you know we're talking about when we're talking about journalism and especially sort of digital the rise of digital journalism. We're talking about an industry that went from an extremely wealthy, essentially glamour industry over the course of about twenty years into like a place where it was very difficult to you know live in the cities where these businesses were and make rent um, on an, as an entry level writer or whatever and. Um, there's a bunch of different reasons that happened. And I think I was, like the narrative that we all like to tell is that all these, the just the way distribution, like um, distribution mechanisms changed, let's say that we went from newspapers that had local monopolies to, um, you know, internet companies that could bring anybody as much news as they wanted whenever they wanted to. Um, and I think that's, that's true. Like technological change is a huge factor in how the industry changed. But the other part of it is that, um, 
as those technological changes happened, the, the, the businesses and, and managers in charge of those changes were able to squeeze the percentage of profits that went to labor, the, the amount of money that was going to the writers and the editors and whoever else to just to, to squeeze that further and further and further and further. Um, so, you know, like you, you, uh, you figure something similar is happening in the, um, in Hollywood right now that distribution is changing the way people access movies and everything else is changing and tech companies, executives, um, investors are going to say a natural consequence of this huge technological shift is that we just can no longer pay you that much because the labor market is different and the consumer market is different. And advertising. Advertising, right. There's no, there's no the advertising. Yeah. yeah. And I think there that some of that is rooted in reality, of course. But like what I see in this strike is an opportunity I never had as a journalist, which is to like collectively with other workers say, that's fine. Like we can change distribution strategy. We can do all this new tech stuff, but like we still want a seat at the table. Like we still need to make the kind of money that we were making because we're, we're creating these things. And what I find encouraging about it or inspiring is like Hollywood is an industry that has gone through three or four of these kinds of shifts over mm-hmm. the course of its existence, that the rise of television in the sixties, the launch of the VCR in the, in the, in the eighties, the launch of the DVD in the nineties. And every single time there has been a, a no bullshit labor struggle, including often strikes to make sure that workers are still, still get their cut of, of the stuff that's being made. Um, and like the optimistic vision of, of this strike right now is that this is just that struggle once more, that this is the struggle where we say, yeah. okay, Netflix, Apple, Amazon, you guys are welcome to come be part of this industry, but you need to understand that this is not, you know, <laughs> we're not journalists. We're not going to, we're not naysayers. We're not going to roll over and just let you fuck around with us. Like yeah. pay us what you owe us. I know that um, is, it is. That's, I think that's part of the part where it's like, it's a little bit hard for me to grasp the direct analogy. Cause I just don't like, it's like, we're not empowered people, you know? Yeah. It's like when the 2010s, we were, like all of us were like writing for like 50 bucks a post or something. Yeah. Like but it's that, like journalists know? if we like knew our history and hadn't been humiliated. Yeah. Right, right. Yeah. And, <laughs> there, you know, like, and like, but also that. if we were all part of a yeah. large union, you know? Yeah. 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 Well, that's like, thing. It's like a big sectoral, yeah, like a big sectoral union that, that we can yeah. all. And look, right. the part of it is also like the Hollywood as an industry. I mean, one thing you can say is journalist executives, news media executives made a series of really bad business decisions through the 90s and 2000s. And that kind of fucked us from the start, whereas Hollywood is in much less bad shape. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's like the streamers will pretend that they're not profitable and then turn around and tell, you know, um, investors that they're going to be profitable in a couple of years. There's a lot of money still in Hollywood. There's a lot of money to be made. I mean, the one sort of like, thing that I think the thing we have to be honest about is that, and I think this relates to sort of an aside you mentioned before, Jay, about like, you didn't have access to the glamour days of journalism. And I think a real kind of um, like the, the thing that, that, that is at stake is there, the future of the industry, almost certainly there's going to be less TV. Like there's just been too much TV the last five years. Um, You know, Netflix has made too much TV and about the only good part of there being too much TV is all of a sudden a bunch of people who didn't work on the Harvard Lampoon have gotten access to <laughs> TV writing opportunities that they never would have had before. Um, and I think journalism, mm-hmm. there's there's a similar dynamic happened. The internet opened up opportunities for yeah, people who for wouldn't sure. have otherwise necessarily had it. Um, 
that that moment of peak TV is past. There's going to be less TV in the future. And I think we have to be honest that that's the case because it does mean that there's going to be fewer jobs for writers. And part of what the WGA is trying to ensure is that those fewer jobs are still well compensated and um, protected and everything else. And I don't, I don't like this sounds like I'm saying, oh, it's like, you know, 50% of all writer TV writers. Absolutely not. I just mean like there's going to be a lot less of this kind of any, you know, like anybody can get into a TV room if they write a pilot and, you know, know the right guy or whatever. It's going to be a harder process because there's going to be more security and stability. Um, and I think that's a worthwhile trade-off to make. You know, I don't right. think you want to say like, again, you want to make sure that's, it's still open, that there's still some level of meritocratic um, uh, opportunity, that it's not just Harvard Lampoon writers, but, but it's, it is true. Like the, um, the, this kind of, there's like the, the sort of corporate liberals love to use this particular kind of leverage against labor when they, when they bring in people who otherwise wouldn't have had an opportunity right. as a way to kind of like undermine the, the power oh, that yeah. labor can have. Yeah, totally. And I think that that like there, we haven't reached yet reached the moment where, they find some they pit, like they pit two people yeah. against each and other. they yeah. will they always do they, they find will. some goony yeah. writer who you know came totally. from an underprivileged background to come say they don't trust unions or whatever and and to that work person... in a seven week mini room and get <laughs> right, no exactly. job after that for four yeah. years and then, yeah. um but you know it's like i like I, I will say the other you know the, i wrote in the piece and you referenced this jay that like i'm not when I wrote that piece, I wanted to make sure that I wasn't trying to, I didn't want to steal valor from people who've been writers for a yeah, long time. Yeah, yeah, I've been yeah, in yeah. one room, yeah. I've written for a couple, but as I've talked to people on the picket line and as I've been doing this, I've learned that like my situation is really not that much different from a lot yeah. of other writers that like everybody saying. is working three or four jobs in addition to uh, getting into rooms when they can um, totally. in just to make enough money. And that's, that's like sort of precisely why this, why this strike is so important to people is the recognition that like that it's it's a shitty and unsustainable situation to to be working in a room every two two years while you're also trying to cobble together why does every fucking tv writer have a podcast now like this is why like if you hate tv writer podcasts like get wga a contract because it will get them off the podcasts my, my, uh, my, yeah i have a friend who uh has been he's from the background that you described of being like very old school um the type of person who would very much just be a tv writer almost by birthright right and um you know he said that when he goes to the picket lines one thing he's noticed this time is that it it is different in terms of who's there right yeah. it's not just the same people he finds that to be very edifying and so i do think that it is a mistake where i don't know you know sometimes it's not like it's a very normal impulse if you are like sort of think of yourself as an underdog and you sort of see these industries as being like replication factors of privilege to be like well fuck them you know like uh they're exclusive anyway. All they're trying to do is protect their own thing, right? Um, like one could certainly leverage that against journalism, for example, right? Like yeah. why would you protect <laughs> protect this like group of people who just pick people who went to Harvard, you know? Yeah. But I do think that the current constitution of the WGA, at least from what I've heard, is like, you know, it is a lot different. And so it might be harder for that type of narrative to set hold because I agree with you. It's like, very easy to point out when people just say it. But the reason why people keep doing that move is because I do think it's pretty effective, you know, yeah. for like a large part of the population that cares about this, which let's be honest, are just kind of like resistant slibby type of people. Right. Like, yeah. um, and that, uh, that, I don't know, I think it might be harder to do this time because 
the WGA has like sort of expanded who's in it yeah. and that there can be counter narratives and that you won't have to like trot out like somebody it who's going to be wildly unsympathetic being like, well, yeah. I don't know, you know, I make $20 million a year off Simpsons residuals or something like that. <laughs> right? And like, right. Like there'll be yeah. other people to put out in front of them. Yeah. Stuff. I mean, I think, I think the, the big story of this strike, especially compared to the 2000 to the, to the last one is that the, picket line is being respected by the Teamsters. Not in every circumstance, but in most circumstances, they have chosen to respect our picket line, which means that we are actually able to shut down productions in a way at a rate that just wasn't happening um, 15 years ago. And, you know, 15 years ago, there's all these stories about Teamsters like honking the horn and and giving writers the finger as they would drive onto the lot. And I think that some of that is like resentment some of that is like, fuck these, you know, guys who have the cushy jobs. And some of it is sort of what you're talking about. You're sort of like, oh, these guys making 25 mil off Simpsons residuals or right. whatever. Like, why have they, you read my screenplay? You know, <laughs> exactly. That type of thing. But yeah. I think that that, I think for a bunch of reasons, that just isn't the case now. I think one is writers are more sympathetic. Like they're, it's a, it's a bigger group of people from different kinds of backgrounds who also are just in worse shape than they were 15 years ago. And I think some of it too is like, Genuinely, the rise in labor consciousness since um, the Bernie campaign basically is genuinely is giving even people who are longtime members of unions um, like more of an ability to think about the circumstances and to to do stuff like respect picket lines. Um, You know, I had a like like I had a you know, we last time I was out, there was the, the guy from the local electricians union came by, had a long conversation with him about like, you know, dealing with, this is a guy who in my, if I, you know, he's a, I'm from New Jersey and I think he's from Long Island. And he's the kind of guy who, if I met him at a barbecue or whatever, I would fully guess his politics um, as Long Island, Nassau County, Trump politics, nice yeah. enough guy or whatever, but he had a real like sense George of solidarity Santos. with, and per, per, for all I know he is, for all I know he is still yeah. a Trump guy, but he had a real sense of solidarity with what this was and what this was about. Um, this is, uh, that sounds a little bit like a woke toddler tweet, I know, but like, I just, I, all I need to say is that like, <laughs> we'll delete, we'll, 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 yeah, we'll but delete, delete, delete my stereotyping <laughs> of Nassau County Republicans, please. Um, I just mean that there's like a real, like there's not, this isn't a matter of writers trying to pick it and like earn sympathy that can then be used to socially pressure executives. There's like actual labor action happening that is costing studios money by shutting down production. And the reason that's happening is solidarity between two different unions. Um, And I think, you know, if the screen, if the actors, if if SAG strikes, which it, you know, again, knock wood, it seems like they very well might that, that mm-hmm. is going to be like like really profound impact on right. the way right. Right. this stuff is treated. So I'm, you know, like I'm, it makes me optimistic. Like, and, and I think, I think part of it is about what you're saying. Like writers are not, are, are, in, like, there's a, just a wider range of people, a better, a better yeah. representatives of what's going on in the industry. And some of this stuff is just so straight up scammy, like this mini rooms and everything like that. Like it doesn't take a genius to That's like what figure I was out what say. they're like, doing there. I feel yeah. like it's yeah. whatever kind of sheen there was around, oh, the writers, they have such good lives and stuff, I think right. has dissipated. And Yeah. And also, and also it's like, like oh, well, I was going to say that like the Teamsters know how shitty these companies are as anybody else because they're working totally. for them too like they have yeah. they have the same shitty um you know bosses and same shitty uh, you know opportunities that the rest of us yeah. do well and i um, think like the teamsters and iatsi are both going through their own things too where like yeah. they have their mutual aid pact but like iatsi almost 
was going to go on its own strike last year. Teamsters yeah, has new leadership. Exactly. Like there's just a lot of stuff churning that's making the conditions pretty good right now, I think, for solidarity. Um, yeah. yeah, while we're on the topic of digital journalism too, we should just shout out Business Insider. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Strike yeah. over disagreements right. over the health plan. The bosses are not negotiating properly around that. So that started yes. last week. The picket lines are active. Yes, Solidarity Business Insider. And we have our picnic uh, that's starting... What is, okay, so it's this Saturday afternoon in Brooklyn. You can find the time and location in our Discord, which you can be a part of for $5 a month at goodbye.substack.com or patreon.com slash tgsgpod. I will not be there, but Tammy and Andy... Why is Andy, I'm reading the announcement and, and Andy is in parentheses. Yeah. Am I supposed to whisper? Oh. And, and Andy. <laughs> <laughs> we'll be there. That's what he gets for leaving the show. Uh, we are going to be providing food and drink, and we will, this is also in parentheses, hopefully, have some tote bags for sale. <laughs> you can sub- subscribe at Substack Patreon for $5 a month. Um, and yeah, we're pretty excited. Max, thanks for coming as part yeah. of our third anniversary blowout spectacular. Um, you are a- truly honored to be here. <laughs> you're you're always welcome. Back and I don't know. I thought this was a good conversation about yeah about all this sort of stuff. And Tammy, thank you for you know being here. Yeah. Um, all right. <laughs> Till next week. Oh,